Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. As we start off a new week, we have a new world champion in the world of T20. We all saw that happen yesterday. How many of you saw it coming? I surely did not. Uh, among the other things that we'll be covering on this episode, there's a lot of action in the football world. Uh, Portugal have shot themselves in the foot in their quest to qualify for next year's World Cup. And there was a massive, massive comeback victory for Lewis Hamilton in the Brazilian Grand Prix. Somil Arora will join us to cover both of those. But before that, here's Ayaz Memon with a roundup of the World T20 final between the Trans-Tasman rivals. Welcome, Ayaz. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, what you said is right. Uh, you know, one is the unexpectedness of the of the winner. Because at the start of the tournament, if anybody had to say Australia is going to win the tournament, uh, he, would have, he or she would have been laughed off. Because Australia's, uh, you know, the tournament's pre- as precursor to the World Cup were, were not something where they distinguished themselves. They lost in the West Indies. They lost even in Bangladesh. Yes, it was not a full-strength team. It was a team led by Matthew Wade. And it, but, you know, they lost quite badly. And uh, it seemed then that perhaps they were just not fit uh, to win a, a title in this format. They were still coming to terms with the T20 format. We all know how good they've been in ODIs and obviously even Test cricket. But in T20, they hadn't won anything of note. It's been The last time they reached the final was in 2010. After that, they've been struggling to even reach this far. So for them to get into the final itself was, I think, a, a, a good achievement or a very, very fine achievement. And then they were pitted against New Zealand, who we know in the last three or four years have been, their trajectory has just been going upwards and higher. And so it seemed like, yes, you know, New Zealand, a little unfortunate, Devin Conway injured. On paper, they don't have the heft that the Australians had, but they are a team which is determined, which knows how to play in tight situations, which knows how to win matches. And, you know, in, in ICC matches, they were unfortunate not to win the 2019 World Cup, but this time they would do it. But that's not the way it turned out to be, as we know. It became, in fact, quite a walloping for New Zealand from uh, from the Aussie batting. And that really is the crux. I mean, my, my compunctions about Australia were, did they have enough, not batting strength on paper, but batsmen in form? And I think what happened, what we've seen in this tournament, is that the batsmen struck form in the knockout matches, the all-important knockout, knockout matches. So, before the knockout matches in the league phase, the batting was very heavily dependent on whether David Warner clicks or not. If he clicked, then the team did extremely well. They coasted to win. If he didn't, then they struggled. And David Warner's return to form has been one of the big stories of this, uh, the Australian triumph, but also in his own personal career, has been one of the big, um, you know, big turnaround stories. Remember, he's also been kind of dumped by his uh, franchise in, uh, in in the IPL. Sunrisers Hyderabad. He didn't. He lost the captaincy. He lost his place in the team, and so on. For him to make this come around or turn around has been quite remarkable. And then Mitch Marsh, you know, probably playing an innings to save his career. He's 30 years old. He was called as the next big thing in Australian cricket 10 years back, uh, and you know he's come along so splendidly in this innings that I think he just booked himself a place for the next couple of years at least, or at least at least the next few series. And uh, since Australia is going to play a lot of cricket uh, in in home conditions, I can see him thriving. Absolutely. Well, two major questions that come up with this. Uh, I mean, can New Zealand ever win a title? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's a little harsh, that statement, because if you remember the 2019 ODI World Cup, they lost on what I think is still a technicality. I mean, luck wasn't with them, uh, overthrows, ball hitting the bat, the, the non-striker's bat going off for four, all kinds of things happening. So, the fact is, Mr. Fantastic, that they have reached the, the finals of three ICC tournaments, all of different, different texture and different formats, you know. The ODI World Cup final in 2019, the World Test Championship final this year, and then the T20 World Championship, which we just saw. And, and they won uh, the Test Championship. So, I would say that if you look at it in terms of consistency and consistent excellence to reach the final in itself is, is an excellent achievement. For the team to do that, I think they've, they've really kind of performed brilliantly. I won't fault them for that. But yes, they will look back. And there seems to be perhaps a little big brother issue with where Australia is concerned. Because remember, also in 2015, they had reached the World Cup final in spectacular, spectacular style, the ODI World Cup. And then they got thumped by Australia in the final. In the first over, Mitchell Stark gets Brendan McCallum and that was the end of New Zealand's campaign. And over here, I think that the first ball that uh, Ish Shorty bowled and Mitchell Stark hit him beyond the mid-wicket fence, that seemed to take the wind out of their sails because it just seemed, uh, you know, uh, that, that it was a very dominant, aggressive approach by the Aussies, which seemed to pay off again for, uh, for, for their team against New Zealand. Yeah, I think it just comes from the experience of having played a lot of these and won them, more importantly. Yes, it does. Uh, the big match experience, the, you know, playing on the big stage. And the other thing which I, might, I must factor in here, and this is very important for all other countries also to understand that Australia, you know, they've had their low periods. In the last four years, they've been steeped in controversies. Steve Smith, David Warner, ball tampering, suspension for one year. Then they've had problems with their coach, Justin Langer, which has just about been resolved or maybe not, as we know. But maybe it will now after they've won the, uh, the world title. But Australia's domestic cricket structure is extremely strong. And all their big stars play a lot of domestic cricket. They don't miss their domestic cricket for other things. Uh, and that's been one of the conditions that, you know, they've even participated in the uh, in the IPL or whatever else. So they give priority to their domestic cricket. While I, I think there's a lesson to be learned over here for India. See, New Zealand's domestic structure is not very strong. It's a very small country with very few teams and very few players. Uh, likewise, South Africa or the West Indies. Actually, West Indies could have a good structure in place, but they I don't know what's happening there. Sri Lanka doesn't have a great domestic structure. The only other country which has a great, perhaps even a better domestic structure in place is England. And that's because of, you know, sheer length of time, over 150, 40, 30 years, whatever it is that they've been around. But Australia's domestic structure is very well serviced. Unlike India's, where the stars just don't play, the big stars don't play domestic cricket outside of the IPL. That's a bane. And therefore you find, and Australia's domestic cricket is so competitive, that when these guys come on the world stage, they are able to absorb pressure and they're able to turn the tables on their opponents if they're in a dominant position. Absolutely. Well, a couple of uh, players that I think we must uh, discuss. Uh, David Warner was under the pump at the start of the tournament. You know, he had a rough time of it in the IPL. But he walks away as a player of the tournament. I mean, what a turnaround that was. And he was the man who really, really set up the final win. Yes, Mitch Marsh was the star of the final, but... Warner standing there after Finch failed again was, I think, a big factor. Big factor. And the only dispute I would have is, was he player of the tournament? Well, it could have been another Aussie, that is Adam Zampa, uh, you know, who, who claimed the most wickets in the tournament. 
leaving aside those teams which had qualified. And he had the most, uh, you know, impressive economy rate. Even in this high-scoring match, it's, you know, apart from Hazelwood and Cummins bowling extremely well too, but Adam Zampa was somebody who held the middle of the innings, you know, from a from the assault of Kane Williamson and the others. Had the score been, I, I mean, I don't think uh, Australia would have lost. They would have been chased down 190, 195. But it would have been tighter. But for Zampa, the total, because he bowled so well, the total was restricted to 172. So I think Adam Zampa could claim that, you know, it's unfair on bowlers, especially on spinners, uh, where, you know, in, in T20 cricket anyway, with the shorter boundaries and, and stuff like that, better, you know, these monstrous bats that we have now, as it is the spinners, uh, very little joy. And here you had a chance to become player of the tournament. It wasn't. But having said that, I'll also say that David Warner made the difference in the two knockout matches. And that's what got them the title. So, you know, who's, who's to grudge him that? Yeah. And the yeah. other big name that really, really stood up once again was Kane Williamson. Big match, big player, scored the runs that really got his team to a competitive total. It wasn't a bad total, 172. But uh, I think the rest of the team kind of felt the pressure, especially the bowlers. I mean, Ishsori probably had the worst match of the tournament and an unfortunate day to have that. What more can we say about Kane Williamson? How much longer can he hold this team together? Well, I think he's in complete command. And, you know, see, ultimately, captains and leaders, they, they need to earn the respect of their players, not demand it. Once you earn the respect, the team plays for you. Every player will participate. And that's what's been happening with New Zealand cricket. Yes, this has been a setback. They lost the 2019 World Cup final very narrowly. Uh, they've had, you know, test match defeats against Australia. All that is fine. But if you look at a, uh, you know, three-year horizon... This has been the most consistently performing team. I would have said that about India, but India couldn't make the cut here. In fact, performed very shallowly. They lost out in the semis in the 2019 World Cup and they lost in the final of the World uh, World Test Championship. So, I, I put out a tweet uh, while, while uh, he was playing that marvellous knock and taking Mitchell Stark to the cleaners, Kelvin Williamson. I said... Is he the best all-format batsman in the world? And there was an overwhelming... Of course, it was a debatable thing because all kinds of people jumped in and said yes, no. But I think that the fact that more people said yes uh, suggests to me that he's now getting more universal acknowledgement as a player. I mean, the only question question mark about his batting was in the in the shortest format. Whether he, was, he had the ability to take his team to wins or score rapidly enough. And, you know, coming into the final, his strike rate was 94 or something there, 94 or 95. And if you, who would have thought he would play this kind of a knock, strike rate of 150 plus against Australia, playing the kind of strokes that would have given Chris Gale and Andre Russell a complex. So he's done all of that. And I think in current form, look, there are very few players who are playing all formats who are of that, this level. David Warner is one, Virat Kohli is another, Rohit Sharma is one more, Babar Azam. Of course, is uh, is one other player who plays all formats and plays brilliantly. Joe Root is not playing T20. Steve Smith is not excelling in T20. Uh, so you know, and in fact, in lately he's not been excelling in any format. So I I think I think the Kane Williamson I think he just moved a nudge ahead of everybody else, including Virat and Rohit and Babar. Well, uh, what about Aaron Finch? Now he's a World Cup winning captain. His own performance is nothing to write home about. I mean, we made this reference, I think, a few weeks ago where we compared him with maybe Mark Taylor, who was there purely for his leadership qualities, even when he was out of form for the better part of his last two or three years. How much of a longer rope do you think will Aaron Finch get? 
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, while he's the winning captain and obviously you get all the accolades and all that, but he must be worried about his form. Again, the good thing for him is that the next next contest that he'll have is, is in, in his own country. I mean, they have a tour to Pakistan coming up, but that's a little later. I think their home season begins now in Australia, so they'll be playing a lot more at home where he'll be more comfortable. Uh, he's 34, pushing 35. So uh, he first has to, I think, ensure that he salvages his place in the team. If that happens, then obviously the captaincy remains with him. But in case if he doesn't get runs quickly enough, be it in domestic cricket, then you know questions will be asked. And one of the names that is being touted for a place in the in the T20 team is Manus Labushain, who's been excellent in uh, ODIs and Test cricket. But we'll have to wait and see how he performs in T20. Otherwise, Australia have a captain uh, for all three formats in the waiting, and that's Pat Cummins. Yeah. Or even Mitch Marsh, you know, throw him in the T20 leadership uh, spot and he's got at least a long way to go. Correct. But Pat Cummins is the designated vice-captain, so they might actually go by protocol. Uh, but it all depends on the workload and stuff. See, everybody now, all teams are concerned about the workload, uh, on, especially on their star players. So if, and, you know, Australia has been following the rotational policy, if they start resting Pat Cummins, then they might have, you're right, they may look at somebody like a Mitch Marsh for captaincy. Well, uh, that's the end of the World T20, but I'm sure you've got a few highlights you might want to share with us. Ken. Let's let's talk about the top five moments of this World Cup. And I know there's a lot of games, a lot of like almost three weeks of non-stop cricket. And which were the five defining moments for you from this World Cup? I mean, look, uh, clearly in the final, it has to be Mitch Marsh's batting, but I would put it as a close tie between him and Josh Hazelwood's bowling because Hazelwood picked up those wickets in the power play Four overs for 16 runs, three wickets. And remember, Hazelwood is the kind is the bowler who wasn't really favoured for T20 cricket for for a long time by Australia, and he's worked his way up. And he's cleverly used the IPL to come to terms with these pitches and also improve or enhance his skills in T20. One of the factors which I think worked in favour of Australia in this tournament, which in hindsight is becoming perhaps plainer or clearer, is that a lot of their key players didn't play the IPL. Pat Cummins didn't play, Mitch Marsh. Uh, Mitchell Stark didn't come, Mitch Marsh didn't come. Therefore, there was no fatigue factor for them. Uh, Aaron Finch wasn't there. While other players like Josh Hazelwood made best use of the IPL to entrench himself in the T20 team. And remember, they've kept out a bowler like Jai Richardson, who's actually a white ball specialist. So, his bowling along with Mitch Marshall was one of the highlights. Remember, it won the final for them. Then I would say the two semi-finals. Uh, those two overs in which New Zealand just dumped England and then, of course, Australia dumped Pakistan. The furious hitting by Nisham uh, and Mitchell, Daryl Mitchell, and then, of course, Stoinis and Matthew Wade. Those were spectacular moments. Or not moments, but spectacular two overs fell in both matches. Of course, there were also moments within moments, Hassan Ali dropping uh, Matthew Wade and then getting, getting you know, flack off from all over. Uh, another moment which I think was, uh, for me, a highlight. It's not a moment, actually. It's two moments, but they were very similar which is uh, Shaheen Shah Afridi getting Rohit Sharma for a golden duck against, you know, against when they played against India and then getting Australia's Aaron Finch for a golden duck. That skill, the ability to bowl at very quick speed and a late in-swinging, you know, delivery is a hallmark of a champion bowler. And that's something that will tell us, uh, it's something that tells us that this 21-year-old can go really far. Of course, in the second match, it did help Pakistan win the game. You know, that's where the drop catch came in. And then finally, one more moment, which I think uh, it's not an 
it is an on field moment but it's the the story of it really lies what happened not on the field but off it and that is rizwan mohammed rizwan being in, in icu for two days or 36 hours before the semi final going out there and making a battling half century you know i mean who would have thought this is where this is a this is a really heroic performance by mohammed rizwan which i think needs to be acknowledged absolutely well all great moments but like you said for me the shine chafri the ball to rohit sharma kind of set the tone for the tournament and for india's tournament as well i mean from there on they just seemed a little battered and especially against the two big teams and they had to only win one match well since then a lot has changed and moving on to indian cricket now we've got new zealand coming in just a couple of days starting the 17th for three t20is i think they would be favorites given what has just transpired in the middle east uh india has also made a lot of changes you know we've got ruturaj gaikwad avish khan harshal patel venkatesh ayer all ipl stars in the team how do you see this team uh lining up along with uh, under the leadership of rohit sharma well i mean look clearly this is a makeshift team because there are quite a few number of uh, key players from india who were rested virat kohli jasprit bumrah mohammad shami ravindra jadeja and so on you know i mean and fair enough because if you're looking at a workload management strategy going ahead it has to start somewhere remember rohit sharma is not going to play uh, in the test matches the two test matches so that's also workload management you know the i think the issue for india will be not about rohit as the captain so much as about how he will formulate the playing 11 because there is a there is a plethora of openers in the in the team there's rohit and rahul himself then there's ruturaj gaikwad then there is a uh, venkatesh ayer and there's also ishan kishan for uh, uh, so five openers Where will you, you can't change your opening slot now with Rohit and Rahul going to be there. So how do you fit them in? Will you fit them in? Will you play them at all? Because you've also got Rishab uh, Shreyas Iyer in and uh, Rishab Pant. So I think they've, they've, uh, the good part is they've got guys like Ashwin in the in the team. I think more and more Ashwin is now being seen as a bowler who can also excel in white ball cricket. So that's a good thing. But I think that. Uh, the challenge will be there for the indian team though they are playing in home conditions the challenge will be there to stave off uh, this new zealand team which is looking extremely good or has looked extremely good in the world t20 absolutely and speaking of our ashwin do you think under rohit sharma's captaincy he'll probably get to play more more regularly at least i hope so i mean look uh, the the fact that he is in the squad suggests that you know there is more and more trust being imposed or reposed in him the ashwin yes you know remember ashwin actually came into the limelight through white ball cricket before jadeja or maybe around the same time they were seen as the among the two uh, constants in the in the indian team till kuldeep yadav and yuzvendra chahal came along and both of them lost their places jadeja fought back and now of course ashwin has fought back ashwin the age may not be in his favor but i think he's at the peak of his prowess so the, you know if he's got say a couple of years two years maybe to deliver at this level why not make make the most of it absolutely well let's hope that the indian team is able to put up a far better show than they did just now let's move on to some other sporting action we've got a lot of football coming up that we want to talk about and to carry on with that here's somil joining us welcome to the show somil thank you so much mr fantastic there's just so much going on in the world of football even though we're not quite taking part in the club matches which for me as a manchester united fan is a good thing in a way again a week away from some misery but in the international side of things jokes aside things are going pretty interesting we had the world cup qualifiers take place in the meantime and it's not an international break per se it's not a break from competitive football because there really was 
a lot of action going on in there. And in the World Cup qualifiers, we just saw Germany, Denmark, Belgium, France, Croatia, Spain and Serbia seal their ticket to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, which is not going to be played in the summer, by the way. It's actually going to be a winter World Cup. So that's going to be something very interesting. But yes, these are the teams that have made their way past. And now you might be wondering what's going on in here. How have they done that? Well, we essentially had a qualifying tournament where all the European teams were put into groups and the top team of each group would qualify directly into the World Cup. And the teams that I just mentioned a second ago, they have won their own groups. Now, what about the other ones? Because, of course, there were quite a few of them. England, they just have to win their match against San Marino to go in first. In their group, well... They are guaranteed to be in the top two, but not so much in the win. But again, if they win their match against San Marino, they will make their way in. And Poland will have to go down into the qualifiers. And now you might be wondering, what is this qualifier business all about? So what happens is the second place team of each group is sent to this qualifier, where Italy were, by the way, a few years ago, where you have to play with all the other second place teams of each group. And then a couple of teams from the European Nations League, where They've just been promoted into this level and they can play at this stage. And all of them will have a playoff tournament in March where the winners of those will then go ahead and actually play in the World Cup to get the rest of the spots. And there are some big names in here, mind you. If England lose to San Marino, unlikely for sure, they might eventually head down over there. But even still, there's a chance that Poland might be there, Scotland, Wales, Czech Republic, Austria, Russia... North Macedonia, Sweden, Portugal, Norway might be going in there as well. So it's definitely going to be a very, very big one. And actually, don't forget, either of Italy or Switzerland could be going down in there too. Because they have a grudge match coming up rather soon. And the winner of that one, well, 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 well. They go into the World Cup, but the other one has to go into the playoffs. And Italy and Switzerland, interestingly enough, they have some history. They really do. A few years ago, they had a crucial match for the World Cup qualifiers where Switzerland won and they went in directly and Italy was sent to the playoffs where they couldn't quite do much and they didn't make it in there. And so that's going to be extra special, right? Tremendous stuff to see. All that's going on in the world of international football and the fact that even though it might seem like a dull week in relation to club football, but there's so much context to the football going on and that's what makes it extra fun. As for the clubs, as I mentioned, not much happening over there. They have taken a bit of a timely break, I shall call it that way, at least from a Manchester United perspective. But no, it's good to see the Premier League also heating up and all the other aspects. And I can't wait to see how the action will unfold when everyone comes back. But in the other side as well, Brazil were dominant in South America. They have also made their way into the World Cup directly. And they've become the first team from South America to actually do that. Their side is looking amazing. But still, there's a year and a half left to go. Actually, not a year and a half. Just a year left to go now for the World Cup. So, don't get too excited right now. Let's wait and see how things actually play out. But it certainly do look very good for Qatar 2022. And that is all about the football here today. But don't go anywhere because the world of Formula 1, well, it's been taking a bit of a wild ride, hasn't it? Formula 1 actually went to Brazil, to Sao Paulo. And for the first time in years, the name was changed actually. It was called the Sao Paulo GP instead of the traditional Brazilian GP. God knows why, honestly. It's it's a bit of a crazy one where I think the promoter had a lot to do with the name change. But regardless, that's not what matters, right? The circuit is the same. The fans are the same. And in fact, 
150,000 people turned up to Interlagos Circuit at Sao Paulo to watch this race. And my word, Mr. Fantastic, this was crazy, crazy to say the least. I'll set down the context, right? It won't take longer than a couple of minutes for this one. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen are in a very close fight for the World Championship. I think around eight odd points when they came into this round. And Lewis Hamilton took an engine penalty. So what essentially happens is in a year, you're only allowed to take three engines. Hamilton has taken his fifth one. But there's a reason for that. Stick around, I'll tell you why. What happened is Hamilton got a five-place grid penalty, which meant that at the end of the F1 sprint race, which, by the way, is a short 45-minute race that comes up on Saturday now, the third of all the three ones of this season, and the finishing order of the sprint race on Saturday determines the starting order of the race on Sunday. And Lewis Hamilton was supposed to take a penalty for the Sunday race for five places. And Hamilton did a very good job eventually. But in qualifying after taking pole position, that's Friday qualifying, mind you, he got disqualified because his rear wing was just slightly bigger than it was supposed to be. And the DRS flap, the drag reduction system, was slightly overpowered. So back he went, P20 for the sprint race. And he had to pass so many cars just to start on a decent position for Sunday. Hamilton made his way from P20 up into P10 on the 45-minute sprint race. In only 45 minutes, 10 positions. That is absolutely stunning. But the reason why he started P10 is because of that five-place drop. He actually finished all the way up in P5 in the sprint race. So that makes it even more mind-boggling about how he was able to pass 15 cars in around 45 minutes, right? He was on fire. But on Sunday, it was Valtteri Bottas who won the sprint race, who started on pole position, but he couldn't quite capitalize on that. Red Bull's Max Verstappen got a very good lead. He's able to do some really good stuff. But Hamilton fought back from 10th and almost instantly, he was up to 3rd. And then suddenly he got swapped around. He passed Sergio Perez. He did an undercut on Max Verstappen and Hamilton was up ahead. But later on, Verstappen was very strict to Red Bull Racing saying, make sure that Lewis does not pit before me. I do not want a repeat of what happened last time. And so, Max boxed earlier. Lewis Hamilton came in after that. But Hamilton was so fast. Hamilton was literally like a magician. He overtook Verstappen after three times of trying and finally sealed the win. And one of those tries actually included Max Verstappen running himself and Hamilton out of the circuit in what literally could be defined as a characteristic moment of the entire season, where the two of them are battling so hard that they actually break their own limits. How crazy is that? And eventually, Lewis Hamilton won after getting a 25-place penalty. Five for the new engine and 20 for being disqualified of qualifying. Again, it's a fault of the team, but it does not matter. They were that good and Verstappen was second. Mercedes now in the lead of the Constructors' Championship and now you might be wondering, why was Hamilton so fast? Why did he overcome so many positions? Because on the driving front and the car front, Mercedes and Red Bull have been almost equal. Well, that answer, I won't tell you that right right here. It's a bit of a deeper one. So listen to the Inside Line F1 podcast, also by IDBU Studios. And I'll give you the answer along with Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of Force India, right there on that episode. But folks, thank you for listening to this one. And thank you for inviting me on, Mr. Fantastic. Just, just such a pleasure to speak about all the football and the Formula 1. And I can only tell you this. In the next three rounds of the season, things are going to get even more spicier for Formula 1. And I can't wait to tell you how things play out on that one. See you, folks. This was awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks for all that, Samil. Thanks so much, Ayaz, for being on the show. Uh, it's been quite a hectic couple of weeks with all the cricket and other sporting action. But it doesn't end. There's just more and more sport coming up. And we'll be here to bring you all of that and much more back again next week.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. And by the end, by the time we meet again, I think we'll have a clear idea of which way the pendulum is swinging in the T20 series between India and New Zealand. Absolutely. Talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye-bye.